Welcome to Running It Back, the Lessons Learned from Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Palmer. Today I will not be joined live by Tarlin Ray, although you'll be hearing him throughout this episode. Tarlin is resting and relaxing in the great state of Hawaii this week. It's a bit of a spring break for us, but since it's been a little while since we've updated the feed, we wanted to get you some more including a quick recap of some of what happened down at South by Southwest EDU when Tarlin and I were on a panel down there together with Terry Givens and Dan Harrison. We'll share some sound from Austin and also bring back some relevant highlights from some of the topics and episodes that we reference as part of the conversation. It's been an amazing ride through the years. We're looking forward to bringing you more fresh programming coming down the pike in the spring. Thanks as always for listening. This is Running It Back. As if he needs introduction, I guess you do. This is Tarlin, Tarlin Ray. Great seeing everyone. Tarlin Ray um, founded and co-host of Running It Back with Mike. I like to call that, that my side hustle. I am the senior vice president for Big Future for the College Board. I'm repping this so I can get this expensed. But truly, this is fun to be here. I'm not used to doing a pod with Mike where I'm not in my pajamas at 6.30 a.m. Pacific time. Yeah. The reason we started running it back was it was a way for us to connect at a really crazy time during COVID. March 2020, I ruptured my Achilles. I'm in LA, can't move around. And the last dance came out for those who like sports and in the Chicago Bulls. Mike and I had worked together multiple times in a company called Kaplan. We had one of the most dominant teams called Score Lords in the Chelsea Peer League, where we did come in second, so it wasn't that dominant basketball. And it was a way for us to just connect. And I'd been on training and education and said, why don't we just do a pod and let's talk about the episode. So we did that four times and said, you know what? There's a lot of richness to sports. And this is an education conference. I get a lot, I've played sports my whole life. I get a lot of education from not the actual game, but the way that people interact, leadership, management, uh, grit, overcoming adversity. And so we thought we'd not only talk about sports, but run it back to sports moments to see what we can get out of those sports moments. So that's what we've been doing for two years. I think we're 45 plus yeah. pods in. We just got new hoodies. New uh, hoodies. Which, which uh, will soon be available to fans. And um, so no book out. I got the political scientist, the sociologist, and just the dude yeah. who likes talking about sports and trying to blend that into a world where I constantly am reading nonfiction. I'm reading management books. I have a larger team to run. I'm trying to apply that, even if you're not into sports, into just the way to interact with people, life, and to elevate your EQ as well as your IQ. Great stuff there from Tarlin. We'll come back to the panel in Austin in a minute. Before we do that, I wanted to bring us back to some of those early days. Here's some sound from our very first edition of Running It Back, even before it was called Running It Back, when Tarlin and I discussed The Last Dance in April of 2020, right as the first wave of COVID-19 was hitting. 
Let's take a listen before picking back up with the panel in Austin. Welcome to the new Last Dance Breakdown Show from your friends who brought you trending in education. We can't contain ourselves because the trends are emerging everywhere. One of the places that is emerging right now is must-see TV in light of the the COVID-19 pandemic. I think the number one show on my list right now is The Last Dance on ESPN covering the the last season of the 1990s Bulls, 1998. And I can't do this on my own. I got to find a compadre who can be pointing to my counterpoint, who can bring the next level takes both hot, tepid, and weak tea. I can't think of anybody better to partner with than good friend of uh, all of my podcasting activity, Tarlin Ray. Tarlin, welcome to the new Last Dance Breakdown show. How are you? I'm back, baby. I'm back. I didn't, yeah, think, I didn't think that intro would end. I've just been waiting to come in and to say something. Yeah. This, this is the only, it's, how is anyone not watching this show? It is That's the a great question. thing that we can watch at this really crazy period of time to have original content from the 1998 Bulls. Yeah. It is must-see TV. I clear yeah. a room in my house every Sunday from six to eight because I yeah. have sports fans and I don't move. I, I, right. love, I right. love this. Yeah. And we're, we're at this point of taping, we're four episodes into a 10 part series. So we're four episodes in first two episodes were Michael and Scotty last two episodes. We're bringing in more of the Rodman story and more of Phil Jackson, obviously Jerry Krause, Jerry Reinsdorf. Spoiler alerts abound if you want to catch up on this stuff. By this point, we're four episodes in. It's not going on. Multiple layers. Layers upon layers. Angles upon angles. But Tarlin, I, and, and you did confirm to me recently, I can call you T-Ray on occasion. You play a little bit of basketball in your day, and you've been a lover of basketball your whole life. Top level, what pops? What are the themes that you're noticing so far? What lessons? You know, there's obviously entertainment value. But what's captured your imagination uh, the most about this? Why do you think it's so uh, so timely? First of all, most people have this debate about who's the goat. So interesting time for this to come out as LeBron is climbing the various statistical ladders, whether it's Banks, Sis, and obviously he trails Jordan a number of, of championships and is not a defeated championship. We have Kobe untimely passing. And so for Jordan to agree to have this come out when he's such a super private guy, yeah, to look at what it means to be great. So a lot of people want to be great. Uh, a lot of uh, people have great ideas. They call them entrepreneurs. Like they yeah. want to be it, but they don't actually do it. Right. Seeing Jordan and hearing him talk years later, how maniacal, how ultra yeah. competitive you need to be and how yeah. hyper-focused you need to be on a goal to be great, mm-hmm. that should resonate with everyone. It just doesn't happen. It's not just God-given ability. Yeah. It's not because it's, he just wakes up. He was, he's legitimately a little crazy. Yeah. And holds grudges and can still to this day talk about moments that happened in his mm-hmm. career that drove him, whether it's getting cut 
when he was in high school, which is a great lesson for us all. You're going to get, yeah. get knocked in the face, whether it's losing out in the nineties playoffs, the distance and what drove them the next that summer to come back and win their first championship. I, I do think it is to be great. It doesn't happen by accident. It's mm-hmm. practice and dedication. You learn from failure and there's some great moments where not only Michael, but the bulls are learning from failure. Yeah. And the last big thing is change is hard, but if you accept change and dive into it with, with your full self, there's some good things that come out of it. So Michael, yeah. and you'll see in the third or fourth episode, he was the man. He had won multiple MVPs, the player of the year, scoring title, yeah. slam dunk contest, but they never won. And Fred came in and took the ball out of his hands. And so you watch someone at its highest level adapting the change, accepting it, and then driving their team to new heights. That to me is what resonates. Greatness, change, and failure. Those are things that I think resonate throughout. I like all that. And that's sort of the, that's for us. It's all about Jordan, but it's also all about the whole team. And the thing that Phil Jackson gets a lot of credit for as the Zen master who was running the, the chemistry of the team really throughout this historic run, six championships in eight years, six in a row in years when Jordan was actually playing, getting Jordan to let up a little bit where he was tr- scoring like 50, 60 points a game to start averaging 30, but to, to do that in a way that would incorporate these other pieces, the supporting cast, you know, scare quotes uh, attached. I think it's super interesting as well, because I think this, the, the personas, the, the personalities, the story of Scotty Pippen, it, it's easy to forget how much there is to learn from Scotty, then also from Dennis, then also from, from Phil. That's a bunch of Jerry Krause too. You know, like it is, it's really interesting. You know, I'm watching this with my wife uh, who grew up outside of the States and didn't really follow this period in uh the nba where for me this like if you grew up in the 90s you were even a remote sports fan just aware of media you knew what was going on with the bulls because bulls were the beatles bulls yeah they were were everything indeed they were and it was fun listening to what really got it all started there and we'll pick up with some more sound from other episodes as we proceed let's pick back up with the conversation down in Austin at South by Southwest EDU. One common theme, I think, among all three of these panelists is storytelling. One of the things I think we've noticed a lot is that sports is providing almost like a mythic narrative for us to kind of work out all of the psychic stress that we're going through these days. And a lot of the topics that we wind up talking about, you know, most recently we were talking about the Rooney Rule and the Flores suit, for those of you who are following, you know, Brian Flores sued the NFL. I think the idea there is sports in some ways is like a microcosm of the broader world around us. My wife, I call her sports curious and she is a fan. She likes listening to the show. So, you know, more for the narrative, more for those elements. I know Terry, you're a big sports fan and we haven't really heard about your books. So I don't know if you can bring sports into your books, but that was, that was a lame <laughs> attempt at a segue. Yeah. Sports, yes, because one of the things I discuss in my book, Radical Empathy, is my career running track at Stanford University, 
which lasted only two years. But no, sports actually is a, a very important component of my life. And, and, you know, radical empathy is more about how we can bridge our racial divides and work with each other in, in ways that are more collaborative by understanding each other's stories. But storytelling is such a critical component of understanding sports and, and education and all of that. And so I use sports in, in my own way to help people understand how you know, even though sports gives many of us opportunities, especially from the African-American community, you know, it also has its own issues. Actually, I, I was at been following what's happening in the NFL, rooting rule, mm-hmm. and it, it speaks to these broader issues. The reason I wrote the book Radical Empathy is to help people understand structural discrimination. And the NFL is a prime example of structural discrimination because you saw it happening in real time when... They said, oh, yes, we're doing the Rooney Rule. We're bringing in the, these guys to interview. And they had already made a decision. Mm-hmm. And I've run into that many times. I mean, I, I've decided I'm no longer going to talk to headhunters because, you know, they'll you know work with a client who says, oh, bring me a black candidate. So they'll reach out. Hey, I've had this happen over and over where I'll be asked to apply for a position. And then it's obvious that I'm the, the black candidate or the woman candidate or the black woman candidate. There's clearly no desire to even consider me let me on it'll be like a very you know brief interview that has no substance to it and it's obvious that the people who are interviewing me didn't even bother to google me in advance but this happens at higher end more generally because that's why i tell people it's all about networking often the candidate for a position was chosen before the job ad goes up so yeah that's a lot of what's going on there so to bring it together the Rooney rule doesn't work because people will find ways around it and that's true for so many other rules that try to break down structural discrimination there are some elements of that what you're describing terry and Anna, just in sports it's not full range but imagine groups of people getting together that are from different backgrounds and have to figure out how to communicate in the locker room. They're listening to different music. They have different tastes, different interests, different perspectives, and you got to come together to accomplish something. To me, that's no different than as you look in companies and organizations, everyone's supposed to be rowing together because this is what the company's about, but it's, you're seeing that's being dismantled. They expect companies and organizations to stand for something. When you're dealing with the team, they're all coming from different perspectives. So you have to figure out how to reach people. Terry, you're being up very upfront talking about race, it is really hard to do and not something it's a little foreboding to do that within an organization. So you talk around it, but also need to make sure you can reach people. You don't want people to agree with everything that you stand for, but you have to spend time and have space mm-hmm. to understand. For me, that has to happen in sports. You do not win, period, with talent unless people trust each other. And trust only happens from having very tough conversations. It may not be a conversation about race, sexual orientation, but it's about something where they find a, a common ground to then go off and win. That's why I get so much out of it. And then I, you, uh, Robin is sports curious. My two daughters, my wife, they are sports nothing. Yeah. My wife, I can't imagine for 20 years, she's been able to watch some games with me and literally is looking at just images and keeps nothing. Yeah. But I truly am trying to connect with them to get them at some point that it opens up a different conversation. Right. And maybe it's a little, it's an easier opener mm-hmm. than some of the conversations that are out there today that become so politicized yeah. and fraught. I mean, as a, as a sociologist, and I actually teach a class called Sociology Sport occasionally, I really like thinking about 
about sports because it really is, as you say, a microcosm of society. So everything which is going on in society happens within the sports world. It's a very condensed, focused sort of a way. And so you have issues of racial stratification, class stratification, you know, sexual orientation, and then also, you know, all the other kind of teamwork stuff that you're talking about. So props off to you. I think you, you really are, you know, hitting on something very important. Tarlin, really, I just wanted you to promote some of our episodes. So like, what were some of the <laughs> topics that we talked about? Because I was thinking Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. I felt yeah. like we covered a lot of stories that don't necessarily maybe get as much coverage. And also it's frequently tied to when something bubbles up in the collective consciousness because sports stars are media stars. Yeah, we did. For those who don't know, we did Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. Formerly Chris Jackson of LSU, he was in the in the 90s one of the first athletes not to stand for the go out out for the national anthem. So everyone knows Colin Kaepernick. We wanted to run it back to him to see what happened to him and so the impact on his career. And here's a clip from September of 2020, our Mahmoud Abdul Rauf episode. Let's take a listen. How excited are you for this show? Today's topic. Super fascinating topic. I mean, we promise to keep it light, short, concise, but we could probably go for hours. Complicated individual we're going to cover. Yeah. Fascinating basketball player. Mm -hmm. So really um, excited to run it back to Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. Rauf. Mahmoud Rauf. Abdul Rauf. I still remember Dan Patrick and Keith Oberman on ESPN, the big show back in the day. Remember Dan Patrick, I believe, when he was getting hot, he would say, Rauf, Rauf, Rauf is, is on fire. fire. I do and, remember that. Wow. And, and then I heard another one, which was, Rauf, there it is. <laughs> also. But formerly known as Chris Jackson. Chris Jackson so is nasty. Can we spend a moment yeah, before yeah. we even get to Rauf? For sure. You say practice? Before we get to Rauf, Chris Jackson, Yeah. probably one of the most dominant college players I've ever seen at mm. six foot tall still yeah. holds the freshman scoring record 30 30.2 points a game mm -hmm. as a freshman his first game I think he scored 13 was super excited about just being in college and contributing to a win yeah and Dale Brown his coach longtime coach took him aside and said I don't ever want you to be excited about it. You, you have a green light to shoot from anywhere. Yeah. So shoot. Yeah. And he did. Mm -hmm. And in his freshman year, he didn't have the benefit of two twin towers in one Shaquille O'Neal and Stanley Roberts. Mm -hmm. So bringing those two big guys on board, his scoring average went down to 28 from 30. Right. But still he was, and Phil Jackson said it in the two thousands, and people went nuts. Rauf was in college, the early version of a Steph Curry. Mm -hmm. And so Chris Jackson, just a fascinating, unbelievable talent and could mm -hmm. shoot. He was open. And I think the three point line, I'm almost positive, was put in around the time that he was in college. In the college game, yeah. He was open as soon as he stepped in the gym. And he could make it rain. And, and what drove that, I guess, a lot to talk about in terms of his origin story. How did he become the dominant player that he was? 
at LSU, that's one aspect of his story is his, his humble upbringing and some of the challenges he overcame. One of the analogies he likes to use is just like iron needs to be exposed to a lot of heat and it needs to be pounded to turn into something beautiful, whether it's a tool or a building or something amazing. He does believe that humans need to be put through some real suffering and hardship to, to truly become what they can be. He had a tough upbringing, was able to power through that to become who he was at LSU. And after his sophomore year, went to the NBA and several interesting chapters happened throughout his NBA career, including his conversion to, to Islam and including his decision to opt out of the national anthem, which is part of what ultimately drove us to run it back to this today, because there's a lot about what Colin Kaepernick uh, was doing in 2016 and the last few years, harken back to what Mahmoud Abdul Raouf, Chris Jackson, was doing in the early to mid 90s, 1996 was really when yeah. the, this whole thing really came to a head. A lot to learn about his basketball game, about what he was over, able to overcome. Uh, a lot to learn really about the importance of, of having a sense of mission and buying into your, your own conscience and your own belief system over and above what the outside world is telling you to do. He really lost his career by virtue of taking this stand in a way that, you know, a lot of people are lamenting what, what Colin Kaepernick's going through. You know, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf really went through a very similar blackballing in the nineties. And because it was tied to Islam and because of a few other moving pieces, in some ways he never really came back in terms of his public perception. So much to draw from here, as you were mentioning, we could go in myriad directions with this where where do you want to go it's almost like that was word bingo myriad was nailed it <laughs> so i think you got to go back to adversity it's we before we can move on to his career in the nba as you said his number three pick uh, he had Tourette syndrome right and still does right so a neurological disorder which at times he is unable to have any control over his body mm -hmm. ticks movements Mm -hmm. and was not diagnosed until he's 17. Yeah. So we talk about later in life when he basically stands as man on island because of his principles. He was also man on island that was mm -hmm. shuttled into special ed mm -hmm. that was really good at memorizing so he could read and memorize words but didn't comprehend, mm -hmm. could not at times tie his own shoes because he could not get his body to start involuntarily mm -hmm. making movements. Because he had to do it perfectly. Because he had to, and, and also times to just yell out, whoops, because mm -hmm. that was just one of his ticks. Mm -hmm. So imagine no one, not a doc, no one being able to tell you what's going on and you're right. so different than everyone else. Mm -hmm. But it's driving you in a way, which is why he has the second highest free throw percentage in the NBA in a single season at 95.7 mm -hmm. and 90.5 for a career. Yeah. To your point, and you know, it's the iron pounding iron. He had to learn who he was. Right. And didn't let that stop you. Watching old YouTube videos, I still remember. I mean, we all knew he had to run. It's just amazing 
what he's able, how he's able to channel and get control over, over a neurological disorder. Yeah. And to me, that harkens forward to the disparities around COVID. The fact that there are disparities around who will get diagnosed with what, what level of access you have to good healthcare. Had it not been for his high school coach's wife, he wouldn't have even been diagnosed by the time he was 17. And the fact that his mom had taken him to the hospital, you know, single mother who was raising him and his brothers, and the fact that he was not diagnosed with Tourette's when Tourette's is relatively easy to diagnose. I mean, granted, this is back in the 80s and the 90s. Maybe some of this has gotten better, but also you got to imagine if he was from a more affluent background where he's going for regular physicals and neurological tests, some of this stuff would have been addressed early adolescence or earlier, and he would have had more of an opportunity to be quote unquote mainstreamed and, and kind of understood as a quote unquote normal kid. Instead, I think he had to grow up with this sense of alienation and otherness that he wound up using as a motivator. He tells the story, he's a brilliant speaker. He's a motivational speaker now. He, he does a lot of work to try to get people on the right track. You know, he talks a lot about the importance of Islam to his own turnaround. But even before that, he, he talks about how his mom would be leaving four o'clock, 4.30 in the morning to go to her job. She had to be there by 5 a.m. He would then, she didn't even know, but he would then, you know, 12, 13 years old, he would leave his house at 4.35, right after his mom left, go to one of the three courts in the neighborhood and just start shooting and working on his game. He talks about how when he was dribbling on his way out there, he would imagine that there was an invisible player, invisible man who was trying to get the ball out of his hands. And that sense of chip on his shoulder, that sense of adversity that he needs to overcome. I think there's a lot to be learned from that where many of us may take for granted our quote unquote privilege. I think in some ways, as a reflective, he's now, I think he's around 50 now, as a reflective man later on in his life, he doesn't really lament that upbringing. Instead, he sees it as the, the way in which he, he sort of forged who he is today. We're going to cut it off right there. Check out the Mahmoud Abdul Rauf episode if you're interested. We'll include links to all these episodes on the show page. Let's pick back up with the conversation from South by Southwest. We talked about Simone Biles, who is the greatest uh, gymnast ever. And for people to question her heart, her dedication, because she had twisties at the time to say that she didn't have the strength of the grit when she had powered through multiple injuries. And why were people thinking, and was there some race to that? Was it about that she was a female? And here's Tarlin talking about Simone Biles during the Olympics in the summer of 2021. We have to start with Simone. Yeah. And part of the reason is because for you longtime listeners, we did do a Naomi Osaka a show after she withdrew from the French Open and then ultimately withdrew from Wimbledon. Great to see her back. We'll hit on her at the Olympics, lighting the flame, mm -hmm. and then a little bit flaming out. And she has an Osakumentary out that will be coming back to you because it'll knock your Os Osakas off. He practiced that one. I did. In prep. I think he nailed it a little bit better. You didn't, you just went with it. You just got to commit when you're going to tell a joke, but we got to go with Simone. 
who in the sport of gymnastics is unquestionably the goat and no one there's no controversy there the greatest of all time yes she's not a goat she is the the goat she is undefeated in the all around since 2013 you count olympics and world championships and other things and just to be clear the all around is awarded to the best gymnast across the four are they called apparatuses no what I said they, that early. What are they called? Four events. The four events, which are the vault, the bars, the beam, and the floor. There Speaking of which, the floor again is yours. <laughs> Thank you. She not only undefeated since 2013, she is the most decorated female U.S. Olympic gymnast. She has four exercises that are named after her, the Biles Vault, the Biles Balance Beam, the Biles on the Floor, the Biles Two. So those are her doing of routines that are scored in a way that she's, don't, she's the only one in the world that's done them. She is right now the only active survivor of the Larry Nasser sexual abuse scandal. Mm-hmm. There are 150 female gymnasts, and she is the one post- the news post the Nasser explosion in 2018 that is still competing and says that she is doing it to reshape USA Gymnastics. And it feels like it's her responsibility to change that for not only her current team, but for future gymnasts coming up. When you go to an Olympics or to any meet, most people feel like they truly are competing for second. Mm-hmm. And coming into the Olympics, the US team was heavily favored to win a goal. The team, gold, and then Simone Biles to win the all-around, and then for her to compete in individual events. In the qualifying to get to the medal round, the USA team was not great. Simone was not at her best. She had a huge step back on the vault. She was all right on the beam, and her scores were depressed. If you look at her scores versus other events, she was 0.5 or more points below what she would normally do, but still better than anyone else on the U.S. team. So there was some concern, some rumblings going into the medal round that the U.S. was in trouble because Russia, sorry, no, the Russia Olympic Committee, ROC, was coming for them. And so Simone, for those who may be under rock and not following this, Simone, still everyone believes that we have a chance. And Simone and it's also the, a good, it's a good team besides Simone great team. Miles. Suni, Suni Lee, Jake yeah. Carey, Jordan Childs, they have a good team. And so Simone on the first event is supposed to do a 200 half somersault or vault. And she ends up having her worst score in competition in her life mm-hmm. and only completes one and a half turns. Goes and talks to her coach and then opts out of the all around mm-hmm. to everyone's surprise. Mm-hmm. And so there are two, uh, we'll deal with the moment and the messaging that came out. Let's talk about that. And then what we find out later, yeah. what we find out is that at first they say it's a medical issue. And so when you hear medical issue, what do you think? Some sort of injury. Great. We then find out that a little later that she's opted out for mental health concerns. Mm-hmm. And the message that Simone in the press conference afterwards says is 
I did it for myself. It was for my own mental health. She said that she couldn't, she was shaking before the event, which never happened mm -hmm. in her life, that we're no longer having fun at the Olympics. There's too much stress. Yeah. And I needed to take a step back. I thought it was best for the team. Yep. So that was the way that the message was received. The greatest Olympian gymnast of all time. And she is opting out Olympics. Thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other setup piece here is that the social media universe and the media universe around this Olympics, the old school broadcast media, the now it's streaming media, ads, social media, Everyone is focused on Simone Biles. This was setting up to be her Olympics anyway. She's the Michael Phelps of the 2020 Olympics. It's fun to cut these off to leave the element of suspense to the conversation. Check out all of the episodes we'll be referencing. We also talk a bit in the rest of this conversation about Naomi Osaka and Scotty Pippen episodes will include those in the show notes as well. But the idea is listen to as many of these episodes as you can. They're all fascinating conversations where we're trying to make topics that are emerging in sports tie back to a deeper history with the stories and the narratives that we can then use to make meaning, find sense, learn lessons in our lives. Let's pick back up now with the conversation from South by Southwest. We touched on mental health, um, Naomi Osaka and her strength, which people, because you can't see the injury, does it, is it really the same thing and people not giving space and grace to that? I uh, was emotional for me, but Tiger Woods is a challenging uh, sports and athlete, but he was a poster on the wall. Everyone needs posters on the wall of people that you can look up to that have challenged to be the only one, one of the first people, obviously Lee Elder and others are before him, but I, We'd, in our pod, I did an ode to Tiger, creating these Sunday moments where I was always in front of the TV watching a sport that I didn't grow up playing, but now I play. And also Tiger provided you with a really easy Halloween costume. He did. For years, red, red shirt, putter, and black pants is so easy to do. Yeah. And as Tiger Woods is back in the news, playing in Augusta yet again, it's a great time for us to bring back Tarlin's ode to Tiger from our Tiger Woods wins the 2019 Masters episode. Let's hear that now. So I, I want to end with my ode to Tiger. Yeah. I, I want to thank you for being my hero. I want to thank you for giving me permission who didn't pick up a golf club until I was 19 to play anywhere. Country club, show up, lone black guy on the course. And I love red, so I definitely wore that there. I want to thank you for giving me something to do on a Sunday where I'm glued to the TV, just hoping that's one of those 56% chance of you winning. I want to thank you for allowing me to have my shorthand text with my best friends where I just write on a Thursday, minus four, should we have hope? I want to thank you for your failures and recovery. I want to thank you for being a doting dad to your kids. I love seeing it. I want to thank you for being human. You're not a robot. I want to thank you for being complicated. We can get into that later. I want to thank you for shanking and flubbing on TV when you were in the 2010s, 2019s, because it's like, that's the way I play golf. I want to thank you for your dad pride and Sam and Charlie and watching you play a father-son with Charlie and just how much you loved it and you cared less about your game. I want to thank you for your terrible balding head 
I got a receding. My girls still talk about my hairline. Is it always like that? Did it ever come? Because it seems like it's going farther and farther back. I want to thank you for your bad pleated pants look. The red shirt was fine, but really oversized. Yeah. The pleated black pants just, I mean, it's terrible when you look they're, back. They're almost a little baggy. A baggy, totally. I had the same. I, I, I thought I was an XL my whole life. It's, it's they're twice the size. I want to thank you for being a little Urkel, a little Jordan, and a little Obama at the same time. Mm. I want to thank you for giving us something to talk about in the black community when we're hanging out with Trump, when you say Kablin Asian, and for going number one in the Dave Chappelle race draft. I want to thank you for my longstanding Halloween costume. I want to thank you for always being called Tiger if I walked into the country club, because that, that's what they thought that was cute in my name. And ultimately... I want to thank you for winning in 2019 because it brought me joy and I could actually show my kids my sports hero. All right, let's wrap it up here with the rest of the conversation from Austin. Thanks as always for listening. Make sure you subscribe. We'll include links to all the episodes referenced in the show notes. Thanks for listening. And then, you know, more recently, as we try to provide a perspective, I just, the, what's happening in NFL kind of pisses me off. I love, we get a lot of feedback. So we have people in my organization, friends that will write long emails because they're starting a conversation. We hope that the pod starts a conversation. But I just frustrated by what's happening in NFL with Brian Flores because I just don't understand how you, you fire a winner. Mm -hmm. And when you're winning, it just, it just doesn't compute for me, one. And then two how there are individuals that are coordinators now that are winning. And if you just match their careers and sort of their stats, how they're not getting jobs and other people are. And then you have all the symbolic politics around the NFL with yeah. the end racism slogans and yeah. the things on the helmet. The page patriotism. And Never noticed the, the number of so, teams so. that are red, white, and have red, white, and blue in their logos, yeah. their colors. There's a meaning for that. So it's the a, end racism zone. Yeah, it's fraught, but hopefully and we're always open to hearing suggestions. It's just a way, it, it truly is a release for me personally, but it's a way for me, if, if you're into soap operas, which I never watch, this is like a mix of the soap opera, a way to have topics that should be more approachable and everyone can sit around. Most people that are into sports sit around the table talk about sports, but you can start to infuse that conversation with something a little, little spicier to see how people react. And so that's the point. And we also did one on, Scotty Pippen, his book is a little hard to read. So we, Palmer and I like to talk about ear reading. If you do audible, do it at 2X. Your ears may bleed and you may get a little dizzy, but it's a better way to read that book. It's a slight fall risk. I actually wound up falling over listening. <laughs> it's it's hard, hard to do, but that's the point. So anyone, just come if you're into sports, explore. But we also are really into, we're not into focusing on what's happening now. And my daughter's always asked, why aren't you covering the Super Bowl? I'm like, because you get thousands of people talking about the score. Mm. There's something interesting that came out of it that can be topical, that can relate to the way we should look at the world, the way you should look at managing teams. That's where we're, that's where we're anchoring. I wish everyone could be a fly on the wall to our text messages during the week. Mike and I, what are we talking about? And he goes, one word. Yeah, I don't know. It's like this random, it's very, it, there's a lot of prep going into stream it. Stream of consciousness. Yeah, stream of consciousness. But, yeah, yeah. but it, I appreciate you, Mike, for yeah. giving, giving the space to do it and allowing for us just to breathe and, and go in directions that it's going. Yeah, we've gone in quite a few different directions so far. We're just getting started. We'll be coming back soon in the spring with more episodes. 
so much going on, whether it's March Madness or the NFL draft or the beginning of baseball, a lot of stuff happening in women's sports. We're looking to dive into some more of that as well. Please subscribe, write us a review if you haven't done so already, tell your friends. We want to keep doing this. We love doing it. We'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us on LinkedIn. Reach out to us at Running It Back FM on Twitter. We're looking for lessons learned from sports. We're really happy to have you along for the ride. Thanks as always for listening. This is Running It Back.